Well, hey, welcome back to the Making Disciples Everyday podcast. Uh, my name is Jason Dukes. I'm on team here with Brentwood, and uh, we are so glad that you've tuned in with us on this episode. And I'm excited because not only do I have the the normal partner with me here, the guy that we get to do this together, and we're grateful for that, uh, Paul Wilkinson, who's on team here with Brentwood Baptist as well. 2% of the excitement level. <laughs> And and then I think Paul's like people used to say of my dad, he's so laid back that if he was any more laid back, he would fall out of his chair. But And then I'm also excited about uh, our featured guest today, and that is Ben Sobels. And so just so you know, because you may or may not be familiar with Ben, Ben is the lead pastor of Cypress Community Church. He's married to Joni. They have five grown children and live in Salinas, California. Did I say that right? You did. All right. And uh, for, it's the 14th most unchurched city in the United States. Ben serves a re, as regional director for the Bonhoeffer Project and recently wrote a book with his good friend Bill Hull entitled The Discipleship Gospel, which I highly recommend. And at the end of the episode today, we'll give you more information if you would like to grab a copy of that book. Uh, so Ben, anything more you want to add to that? Anything else you'd say just about your story or who you are so that those listening can be familiar? Well, Jason and Paul, it's just great to be with you. First of all, um, the only thing I'll add to that is I'm 46 years old. I grew up in uh, Australia until I was 22 years old and then came over to the United States to caddy for a friend of mine on the golf tour. Uh, during the six months I was over here caddying, that's when I heard the gospel became a Christian and started following Jesus. And then uh, my life ended up leading me back to the United States and going to seminary and being part of a church plant, uh, which led me out here to Salinas, California. So um, the way that Jason, you and I connected initially was that I read your book, Inviting Along, and I thought it was awesome. And I emailed you and you emailed me back. And so I really appreciated that, that personal connection from you. And, and I'm really glad to be here with you and Paul today. That means a lot, man. Well, I, I, I'm thankful for you. And I told you off, off before we started the recording that I've heard you teach on some, what we're talking about today. So it excites me even more that our listeners are going to get to hear that. So but I do have to ask, though, I'm curious now, like, wh- wh- what's the name of the golfer that you got to caddy for? Can you share that? Yeah, well, it was a good friend of mine that I grew up with in a little town called Ballina, Australia. And his name was Dean Larson. He came over in 95 1995 with a contingent of Australians, which included Stuart Appleby. Hmm. And, um, and so we all traveled together around on the Nike tour that year. And that was a lot of fun. That's really cool. That's really cool. I, I used to coach and teach in Orlando. And so our school had a large contingent of golfers, kids in the school, including Payne Stewart's children. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I was there in that very tragic uh, time when he, when he and his agent and some others went down in that plane crash. But that was the first time because I grew up in inner city New Orleans. I'd not really been around a, a people who had more affluence or a people who could even play golf, right? Like I never, I didn't even, I had never played golf really. So, so like it was just fun to get to know the dynamics of all of that and the relationships and the brotherhood that they shared. So I bet that was a sweet time when you got to hang yeah. with 
It really was. Yeah, it, the golfing community is a great community and the Christian golfing community, uh, which included Payne Stewart. I mean, what a great man and a great champion. And I think he's left a really awesome legacy behind. Yeah. So yeah, it was, I, I, uh, golf is a great sport. It's good stuff. Processing that processing, uh, you coming over and you, uh, getting to be a part here. You said our connection was through, um, that ebook I did for discipleship.org and, and us beginning to kind of email correspond with each other. Um, you, uh, also you recently wrote a blog post for discipleship.org and, and the basis of the post was just disciple making for ordinary people. Is that, is that an okay summary? I mean, it's, it's super concise. There's a whole lot more to the post than that, but, but I'm curious, you know, as we kind of jump in today to this idea of just some essentials that will, will help encourage our folks to be making disciples in the everyday. You wrote that blog post. Give us a brief summary about it and, and just what you were really hoping to communicate there. Well, I, a few years ago, I read a quote by D.L. Moody. He said, uh, if the world is going to be reached with the gospel, I'm convinced that it's going to be through men and women of average talent. And as I was thinking through that, my experience here at Cyprus Church has been that ordinary men and women make great disciple makers. And so that really is the point of the, the blog post is that um, the ordinary men and women, and I'm not using that in a derogatory term at all. I'm just saying the, the, the men and women in our, in our churches who fill our pews, they actually make the best disciple makers. Um, in my opinion, once once the ordinary people of our church uh, begin making disciples, that's when there's a tipping point in a local congregation that moves from just you're really trying hard to make disciples and multiply. But when the ordinary men and women start doing it, man, then then wildfire starts taking off. Then it starts to promote itself in ways that you, you can't do as a pastor. Yeah. Um, people expect me to talk about making disciples. Uh, they don't expect Bob or Mickey, uh, who, are, who are an 80-year-old couple in our church, to be promoting discipleship. And so when Bob and Mickey are talking to people about being in discipleship groups, uh, things really take off. And so there was three points to the article. The first point was selecting ordinary people to disciple. The second point was designing discipleship for ordinary people. And then the third point was expect ordinary people to make disciples because they are great disciple makers. Hmm. That's good. Yeah, you're exactly right. And I agree with you. I think I'm, I'm working with a contingent of pastors right now on, on just processing through what does it really mean to equip for disciple making, right? Like we talk about it, we give rhetoric to it. What does it actually mean to equip for it? And it's been interesting, one of them in particular, one guy in South Carolina made the statement when we first started doing this, he said, now, I, I know you want me to engage a few pastors because we want to multiply the effort of trying to help pastors learn how to equip for this, right? And he said, but I, is it okay if I don't, right? Like he was, he was pushing back, like, I just want to work with the people that are actually going to do it. And, and you know, and, and, and so you're right. I mean, I think that is the sentiment that a lot of us as pastors, if we're honest with ourselves, right, we, I hear it from a lot of pastors that they've many of them haven't even been discipled by someone themselves. And yet we're at, we're challenging them to equip for it. Right. And, and I mean, just real quickly touch on that. Like how, 
how do you not only deal with that yourself, but how are you encouraging even the guys around you that maybe, maybe they haven't, but they're being called to equip for it. How do you, how do you deal with that? Yeah, I think it's really easy uh, to fall into the trap of teaching about discipleship and not actually making disciples yourself. Yeah. Um, so, you know, as a pastor who's trying to create a disciple making movement in my local church, if anyone is making disciples, I have to yeah. be doing that. And then if, if I'm doing that, are the disciples that we're making actually multiplying into other disciple makers in the congregation? If that's not happening, something's faulty in my process. Um, and I've, I've, so I've just been refining a process here for about five or six years and you know, you know, something hits, you know, when the, the fish takes the bait, so to speak, when they pick it up and they've gone through it themselves and now they're starting to do with others what you've done with them. Yeah. And that, that to me is, is a critical moment, um, in, in the life of a local church, because so often it, the, the disciple making process gets, uh, cut off or cut short too early and it never leads to ordinary people making disciples. Absolutely. Absolutely. So if you, if you don't think they would mind, can you talk a little bit about that group that you currently walk with that ordinary people group? Some of the folks that you even mentioned in that article, um, you know, talk about them and the way you're walking with them. How did those relationships initially form you know, what are the group rhythms really helpful for the ordinary people like us and, and others, but for the ordinary people listening to this podcast to say, okay, I know I'm supposed to do that, but how, right? So talk about just how those relationships formed and the rhythms that you guys have. Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, so the current discipleship group that, that I'm in with three other guys uh, Tim is in his 60s. Uh, about six years ago, he was homeless and addicted to methamphetamine. Uh, Steve is in his 50s. He is a horseshoer, which means he puts horseshoes on horses. And then Kevin's in his 30s, and he is a linguist for the military and has worked with special teams uh, in the military on the front lines. Wow. And so I'm in my 40s. Um, so we've got, you know, 60s, 50s, 40s, 30s. And these guys couldn't have been more different. Um, <laughs> but the one thing that, that really kind of united us together was I really, during about a two-month period, I was just praying to the Lord, like, Lord, who do you want me to be spending the next six months of my life with? Hmm. And over a two-month period, the Lord just made it really clear that these are the three guys. And so I just invited them to be in a discipleship group with me. Yeah. Um, each one of them said yes. Uh, and, and so we, we met once to go through our first session. We have a, a curriculum that goes through Mark's gospel. Um, and so the way I set that up is, you know, I really want the guys who are coming into discipleship groups and the women who are in discipleship groups in our church to have a chance to count the cost. Yeah. of what this is going to be and what it's all about. And so we actually meet for session one, which is going through chapter one of Mark's gospel. And at the end of that, then you commit to being in the discipleship group for the rest of the time. So um, these three very diverse guys came together, um, you know, a former homeless man, and then we had a horseshoe and then a um, military guy and then a pastor it sounds like a really bad joke or a really good joke <laughs> um, we, the four of us came together we went through mark's uh 
gospel, the first chapter, and then at the end of that, you have to make a commitment. And if you make the commitment, you're making five commitments. Um, and one of them is that you will push through to the end of the whole process. So we'll read through the entire gospel of Mark together. And those three guys loved Jesus. They hadn't been discipled before. And that's what brought us all together. And so it was a little awkward for the first month because we really didn't have much to talk about. But then as we kind of uh, fellowshiped around Jesus and the gospel and disciple making, man, just really cool stuff began happening. That's so good. And so you study the gospel of Mark, obviously, and you walk through that. What are some other just ways that you hang out with each other, that you do life together, to use that phrase, that you, you know, that you're really just kind of learning and living this together? Yeah, our, our disciple-making process really is, we, we view it through the basic training um, model. So just as you would go through basic training or boot camp in the military, that's kind of how we set this up. And so what we do is anytime, as we're reading through Mark chapter one or Mark chapter two, okay, what is Jesus teaching here? Is there something we need to put into practice together? What is Jesus doing here? Is this something we need to put into practice together? So at the end of the curriculum at each um, chapter, there is something very specific that we're going to do together as a group to put these, what Jesus is saying into practice. And so, so when we uh, read Mark chapter two, Jesus is eating with his disciples and answering questions about who he is. So we gather together and we eat meal, a meal together and we talk about our journey with Jesus. When, Jesus in Mark chapter five takes his disciples to the other side. Uh, at the end of that, we say, okay, where is the other side uh, in our community, which is actually the, the other side in Mark chapter five is the last place on the planet that the disciples want to go. Hmm. Uh, it's a Gentile place with unclean pigs and unclean tombs. And I mean, that's the last place these clean Jewish disciples would have wanted to go to. And that's where Jesus took them. So uh, we will choose the, the, the last place in our community that we really want to go and we'll go there and serve people with the gospel and whatever the needs are. Um, when, when Jesus is teaching on forgiveness in Mark chapter 11, we, we challenge one another. Is there anyone who you have anything against? That's the language that Jesus uses in Mark 11. Is there anyone in your life that you have anything against? And if there is, you need to pray to forgive them. And so we spend a week really delving into that. And every person, every time in each group that I've led has at least one person they need to work on forgiving. And so we start working through that together. Uh, when Jesus is having the last supper with the, with his disciples in Mark 14, we gather together again for another meal and actually share communion with one another at the meal, which is kind of a, which, a an addition to what we did in Mark chapter two. So, the things that we see Jesus doing, the things that he's teaching, we, we put a huge emphasis on putting that into practice. And so what Jesus is doing creates the rhythms for our discipleship group. I love that. I love that. And, and um, you know, you mentioned the Inviting Along book. I mean, that, that's the premise of that book is try to be redundant uh, and creatively redundant about the things that Jesus was creatively redundant about. Invite some people into that. And you know, I, I love that. And I love how reproducible what you're doing is because you're asking simple questions that they can ask and they can process with others. You're, you know, you're walking through an accessible resource because they have access to the gospel of Mark, you know, things that they can easily do with others. Right. And, and so 
And I know that's your heart. When I've heard you teach on this, you not only want to see them engage in this, you want to see them then go invite someone else into this. But thank you for sharing about that. And I hope, I hope that encourages those listening, right? Like this, this isn't a complicated process, nor, nor is it one that is just about studying, right? Or becoming like some expert in the Bible. It really is about what did Jesus teach and what did he do? And are we doing that, right? Like how do we do that together? That's so good. Paul, anything you want to jump in on? Yeah, man, this is great stuff so far, Ben. Uh, the two key words that have stuck out to me so far are ordinary and together. And uh, ordinary is gaining a little bit of traction here, but I love the way you've defined it as just people out and about. It's just our normal lives. And uh, our pastor likes to say if the first Reformation was giving scripture back to the people, then our current Reformation needs to be giving ministry back to the people in light of Ephesians 4.11, and your heart just exudes that. Um, one of the major things I battle against in my own life, high introvert and uh, philosopher, but I also battle with it with my leaders, my group leaders, and some of the adults here that we disciple, is this idea of togetherness. A lot, a lot of times it's easier just to go it alone, or if there it seems intuitively easier just to go it alone. Let me just dive in. Let me do it my way. But you hit together on every single aspect of Mark that you highlighted. How do we put this into practice together? How do we do this together? Talk some about, um, I don't just the experience of togetherness with these guys. Yeah, I, I think, uh, I mean, it gets back to the heart of like in, in Acts chapter 4, verse 13, and, and John and Peter were perceived as being ordinary, uneducated men, and, but they had been with Jesus. And so that whole idea of uh, togetherness is really bred by Jesus himself. Like you don't see Jesus saying, okay, here's the lesson. Now go off and have a cup of coffee in the morning by yourself and figure out how to put this into practice. Now he actually takes them out and, and gets them to put it in, in practice together. And whenever they're putting it into practice, it's always together. Um, you know, it's two by two or it's like uh, when they come to him and say, there's a big crowd and, and you need to send them away because everyone's hungry. And, and Jesus says, well, you guys feed them. It's always together. Um, and so I think just, when we read through the gospels and we see what Jesus is saying and doing, and we try to put that into practice, it's hard to get a very individualistic application from what he's saying. And I think in our culture, uh, the Christian subculture, it's very easy to kind of, well, I'm going to take what the pastor says and I'm going to think about it by myself when I wake up early in the morning with a cup of coffee by myself and, and meditate on it. Well, it never quite gets to putting it into practice, but when you've got, togetherness there's accountability in that and then you actually press into some really tough issues together but you because you're committed to one another you work it out and man how much more could we use unity and a, and a commitment to work things out within the church it would be awesome to have the discipleship dynamics that we experience in groups to just fill the, the church up with togetherness rather than i'm going to figure this out by myself and if i don't like what's going on i'm out yeah, and, and it's obvious, right? Like what I'm about to say, but I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it anyway. I mean, what you're hitting at is exactly why Jesus gave a new command, right? What you're what you're hitting at is exactly why he prayed what he prayed in John 17. You know what what you're hitting at is exactly why, and at least in my own experiences, when I talk with those who've yet to believe, or maybe they're not even close to believing. <laughs> Right. When I talk to people like that are in that group, 
I consistently hear from them, you guys are so divided, right? You guys are so individual. You're so about your own preferences, you know? We, we, we in the South, right? And you're, I know you're in the beautiful, always good weather area of the country, but, but right down here in the South, you know, we deal with a lot of um, individual, what some people would call um, uh, a, a hedonistic deism. What's the other? Therapeutic hedonistic deism, right? Like, but, and, you know, this idea, but it's all very much an individual component. And so we leave a church family because we don't agree with everything and we find one that we do agree with until we realize we don't. Right. And then we can, you know, and, and it, you're right. We, we can't learn the gospel like that. We can't learn reconciliation like that. We can't embody the teachings of Jesus like that. And, and so togetherness can be a buzzword life together, those types of things, but it isn't cliche. It, it actually is crucial. Right. I, and so, you know, I, I love that you're not only emphasizing that, but just even the way you explain it, I uh, hope that's helpful for our folks. So, you know, kind of coming together here, and we've already mentioned enough. We're now, I guess, in, in, es in essence, we're going to kind of highlight now, because we've certainly already mentioned five essentials of everyday disciple making. But, but to point them out, to highlight some of them, um, Take a take a few minutes just to talk through, and I might interrupt you every now and then and just ask a couple questions. But take a few minutes to talk through some essentials, and and I, I threw the number five out there. It doesn't have to be five, but just some what you would encourage the people that you're equipping out there, or the people that we're equipping here. What would you encourage them with that are just very simple, practical, doable um, essentials for everyday disciple making? That's a great question. Um, I, I'm going to give you five words. Uh, priority, multiply, reproducible, gospel, and obedience. I think those, those five words kind of encapsulate what I see as being critical in our disciple-making process. And, and these are the things that actually have brought our guys together. Like our, I, I kind of heading back from, to your last question and kind of moving into this question, the three guys that, that we've been, the four of us, over the last six months together, I mean, you know when things are hitting a chord because these guys are hanging out together a lot outside of the discipleship group. Yeah. Um, and that's happening. So the first thing was priority. I think people are so busy today that discipleship gets always kind of pushed to the back burner. And so we spend quite a bit of time figuring out, okay, when can the four of us, um, get together and we figured out that it was eight o'clock on Friday morning at Castle Rock Coffee on Highway 68. That's, <laughs> that's when and where, and pretty much we figured that that's the best time. Um, and that so worked. if we drop, are we okay to drop in some Friday morning? Is that all right? Yeah, absolutely. We'd love it. <laughs> yeah. So, but, but getting it on our schedule, holding one another accountable, you know, every now and again, our, our four month process, because life happens, it ends up being about six to seven months, which is great. Um, but we're, we're making a priority right up front that we're going to prioritize this meeting together above a lot of other stuff because this yeah. is really, really important. Um, the whole idea of the multiply word, which is the second word, um, right from the beginning, you know, when you sign your five commitments, one of the commitments is you're going to 
commit to multiplying this experience by leading a discipleship group yourself. So we're unapologetic. It's right up front. Sure. Um, halfway through Mark's gospel, when we hit Mark chapter eight, then I actually turn the reins over to each of the guys uh, in the group and they start leading one session each and then they lead another session. So by the time that they're done, they've actually led two sessions, but the first um, eight, eight chapters they're really getting to know one another. They're getting comfortable with one another so that it sets it up so that when they lead, that's not a huge stepping stone. Like, what are they going to think about me? Because they already kind of know each other. You, you can learn a lot about someone when you're meeting with them every week for, for two months. Sure. Um, so we kind of set up the priority and the multiply right up front. They're one of the, each one of those things is a specific commitment that you make uh, at the beginning of the, the process. The third word was uh, reproducible. This is a really big one, and I've kind of come across a lot of confusion about what I'm trying to say here, but like our process is very simple. We're just reading through Mark's gospel, and, and the feedback that we get on our curriculum is it's too simplistic. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that um, I don't think it's too simplistic. I do think it's simple, and the reason it's simple is that Jesus is ultimately the one who's discipling us. So we're reading through his gospel. And we're putting his teaching into practice that the tool of that we use is simple because we're actually letting Jesus use it. Um, but there is a desire in our Christian culture for we want to go really deep with one another. Okay, that's that's good. But like in Mark chapter 11, where he talks about Jesus talks about forgiveness. I mean, do you ever graduate from the school of forgiveness? Is there ever a time where, you know, I, I know that in the last 25 years of being a Christian myself, um, I am learning so much more about forgiveness now than I did in the first two years of my Christian walk um, because there's layers to it and you have to work through stuff and then work through it again. And, and what does Peter mean when he's saying, you know, how many times do I forgive my brother seven times? And Jesus says, no, 70. What does that actually mean? And how do I put that into practice? Sure. Um, so that might not, it might sound simplistic that we're working through forgiveness in Mark chapter 11, but then you go, man, I'm still working through that same stuff 25 years later. So I'm not, yeah. I'm going deeper, but it's a very simple lesson. And um, let me, let me encourage you on a second point there. Cause I was one of those people that said discipleship curriculum wasn't deep enough. And I would have critiqued yours as not being deep enough. And what I had in mind was not deep enough for me where I am the person I'm talking to, but what you've already said is you expect this to go four or five generations deep. That fifth generation, it needs to be simple for that fourth disciple who's making the fifth disciple who's making the sixth. If it's not simple, it gets lost and it, uh, it goes by the wayside. So I encourage you. um, Yeah. Keep it up on that one. We got to start thinking multi-generations. Well, and I think in some ways, uh, and I would add to that just by saying, I think in some ways, what you're doing and what I see certain other pastors doing right now, I think well yeah. is helping people understand how beyond where we could actually swim the gospel is mm. right. Like we, we, it's almost like it's almost, at least in the Southern church, we made the gospel this shallow, right. And, and we're now giving great segue to your book, right. But we made, we made the gospel, this shallow moment that's elementary and I'm a kid at vacation Bible school, you know, and, and we, that's what we made it when really it's a baby can right? like a zero entry pool, a baby could walk into it, 
but a, an elephant could drown in it, right? Like it's, it's that, it's that kind of thing. And I think, I think it's incredibly healthy that we're challenging those who are calling for depth to wake up to just how deep it is, what they're already swimming in. I, th I think uh, what you were talking about, both of you, but when you were talking, Paul, about, uh, you know, it's, I I'm very similar in that I, I could get lost in a theology book for three hours on a Friday morning, which is my day off, and, and not speak to a soul. What, what I really need to grow in, though, is relational dynamics. I don't need to grow in my the theology dynamics. If I grow anymore, I, I'm in, in, I might get in hot water because I'm not learning how to love people. I'm not wanting to spend time with people. Um, and that's where I think discipleship is. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, I mean, discipleship ultimately is a love issue if it's anything. It's not a theological issue. And actually just taking Jesus' teaching and putting it into practice, that's where you go deep um, when you're working this out with other people because you cannot live this life as a disciple by yourself. It just doesn't work that way. Um, so the, the fourth word was gospel. And, Jason, you kind of just hit on that. I just think that there's very few discipleship curriculums that reinforce the message of the gospel. I think if, if discipleship curriculums teach anything, they teach a method of evangelism. Yes. Um, but they don't drill down and get disciples crystal clear on what the gospel actually is and that the gospel leads to a disciple-making lifestyle. Like the gospel calls us into uh, a lifestyle of following Jesus. Um, that discipleship is a necessary part of salvation. And I think if you, if you read through Jesus' teaching, it becomes really, really clear if you have eyes to see it that that is true. And so... So in our process, um, you know, Jesus lays out the gospel very clearly in Mark chapter 1. He, he reveals four elements, and then in Mark chapter 8, the other three elements. Um, and so we ended up, we have our uh, guys in our groups uh, memorize a 101-word statement of the message of the gospel, that once you get the message down, then whatever method you have, you're going to hit all the the key essential elements of the gospel. So I can use the three circles and I can use the wordless book and I can use the gospel bracelet, whatever, um, at any level with kids or all the way through to adults. But I'm making sure that I'm actually communicating the essence of the gospel. I'm not just talking around the gospel. Um, so that the gospel element, I think, is critical in discipleship because Jesus links the two. Like I think the great commission is make disciples using his kingdom gospel. I think Matthew sure. 24 and Matthew 28 are linked together. And if we're discipling people in things other than the gospel, then we're kind of um, shutting down the whole disciple making world revolution that Jesus started. Um, and then the last one is obedience. And we've already kind of touched on that quite heavily, but you know, learning to hear Jesus voice in the scriptures and putting his teaching into practice nothing will challenge a disciple more than just doing that every single day. Like learning how to die to myself and live for Christ. Um, that's the essence of discipleship in my mind. Yeah, I think that's great. And I, you know, it's genius, isn't it? That Jesus in the great commission, as we typically call it, that, that in that, in that command and that declaration that he moves them or commands teaching right? But it's really, it's, it's just so incredible 
the intentionality, teach them all I've commanded you, you know, teach them to obey. Right. And, and, and so it's interesting because as I, I would have never known how to be a parent without becoming a parent. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and so even in trying to figure out how to be a parent, which I'm still trying to figure out, even in trying to figure that out, I have to constantly remind myself, teach myself, grow in an understanding and an ability to translate love and obedience to someone else, right? While at the same time, loving and obeying myself, right? Like, like I, I have to keep being consistent in it or else I lose this, this uh, moral authority and this relational capital to be able to actually lovingly and, and graciously speak it into someone else that mm-hmm. is my child. Um, but if I hadn't parented, in other words, if I hadn't tr- started trying to be a disciple maker, trying to help someone else initiate that journey with baptism and trying to teach them to obey all that Jesus commanded, the gospel of the kingdom. And you know, if I hadn't started trying to do that, I really wouldn't grow in it. So there wouldn't be more depth. And that's the genius of it, right? I think that's what I love about what you're saying. You know, the priority piece and the multiplication piece, but in the reproducible element, you know, that you're, you're saying, hey, this has to be something that can be handed to someone else. And that's the depth. The depth is in the teaching it to someone else. The depth will come in the living it in such a way that they believe what you're teaching, right? Like the, that's, to me, that's where the depth comes instead of, like you said, the typical isolated depth that we've highlighted uh, in the American church. And we've got to be so cautious of that. Like we, we, which is good segue toward your book, you know, because I think that's what you're trying to say. In my opinion, that's how, at least how I took it. That's what I feel like you're trying to communicate. And that is, you know, let's be careful not to communicate a gospel that doesn't call people to the understanding of what that really means in their life. Let's be careful that we're not just providing these, you know, either short, short-changed versions of it or demented versions of it, if you will. And, and so, you know, that, that kind of leads us into just a wrap up here as we move toward closing. Um, I, I want to ask you one question before we highlight the book, and that is maybe seems like a crazy question, but how do you know? Help help us understand in the context of these conversations we've just had. How do you know if you've made a disciple of Jesus rather than a disciple of someone or something else? That that's a that's a crazy and a fascinating question. I feel like it's it's almost a setup. Uh, gotcha, a gotcha <laughs> it's not, question. It's not a setup. It's not. <laughs> um, so as I'm thinking through that, to me, it ends up being a focus on how do you define what a disciple or who a disciple is. Who is a disciple? And you know, in our discipleship groups, we have guys memorize a, a definition of a disciple so it can just be running through their minds and hearts to kind of check and evaluate themselves as does this kind of describe who I am? But our, our definition of a disciple is a disciple is a person who is learning to live with Jesus and love others like Jesus. Hmm. 
it's really simple, but I can, I can pack a whole lot into that phrase. Yeah. Um, but to me, if, if these, these three guys in our, and if the four of us in our discipleship group are learning to live with Jesus, I mean, living with Jesus is the transforming power that we see in John and Peter's life in Acts chapter four. What was, what set them apart? It was that they had been with Jesus. Yeah. But if I'm living with him through each day, there's all sorts of power unleashed in my life. And if, if, if I'm living that way, then it will lead to me loving others like Jesus. And you can only love others like Jesus if you're being filled with the love of Jesus yourself, yeah. um, which gets you into the new commandment. And, um, you know, love one another just as I have loved you. Like, I can't love you, Paul or Jason, uh, in my own love. That's not what he's calling me to do. He's actually calling me to love you guys with his love. And to, to, to love you with his love, I have to first receive that love myself so I can pour it out into you. Um, that's a whole other dimension of, of relationship with Jesus and with other people, um, which necessarily works its way out in being discipled and making disciples. So I think the, the fullness of, of living with Jesus and loving others like Jesus is Christ-likeness, which leads straight into disciple-making because we're going to be obedient to what he says. That's so good. It's so good. We one thing we're emphasizing here right now is is it's difficult to to communicate the gospel of Jesus to someone to translate it into their life or their doubt or their insecurity or their fear or their struggle or whatever their dilemma might be. And it's not our job to persuade and convince, but I think Jesus was in and he's Jesus. He's obviously was great at it. But we see him model the translating of the gospel of his kingdom into other people well. Can I, can I just share one more thing on that? Because I think that's right on. I think one yeah. of the things that I'm very intentional about doing not to set it up so that these people are my disciples is I actually don't call them my disciples. Yes. yes. I ask these guys to come in. To, do you want to be part of a discipleship group with me? Uh, not do you want to be my disciple? And yes. so right from the beginning, there's a group dynamic to this that doesn't make me the disciple maker. It actually allows, you know, we talk about this. Jesus is the one who's leading this group. We're seeking to follow him. I'm the, I'm facilitating, um, but but I'm part of the group with you guys because I, quite honestly, I, I learn so much every single group and the, the curriculum is the same every time I go through it, but the group is different because the guys in the group are different and they're pushing different buttons and causing me to have to grow in ways. So, so I'm learning just as much as they are, even though I'm the one who's kind of coordinating the group together. So I, I think we need to be very intentional about making sure that people in discipleship groups don't look at their leader and say, wow, he's so cool. I want to be just like him. Sure. Um, the leader needs to be pointing people to Jesus, making sure Jesus is the one who's really okay. discipling us here. Because how are they going to know what it looks to live with Jesus and love others like Jesus if I'm just trying to look and live with Ben? Like, no, 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 don't do that, please. I think you're exactly right. I mean, we, Paul and I have, I've, I wouldn't say strived necessarily, but but I might, I might say, um, been, been energetic about trying to be as consistent and repetitive about what I'm about to say as possible here in this culture. And, and in our culture here, we, we don't want to just see disciples of Jesus making disciples of Jesus. 
we want to see disciples of Jesus making disciples with Jesus. And, and, and that language, I keep finding the more we are using that language, and it's a language I've used for a while, I think Paul has as well, but, but it's a language that of in, in Orlando when I was there, we would often make the statement, God never intended for you to live for him. He wants you to live with him. And, and for whatever reason, that it, in, in, in our culture there in Orlando, and it seems to be doing the same here, it just resonates, right? Like it's freeing and it, and it moves people to understand this isn't on you. This, this is about you living out from an identity, not for an identity. Right. And, and really, really living in that gospel identity and then inviting along people to learn it with you, not learn it from you. And, and, you know, and those are, those are two very different things. And I love that. I love that you're emphasizing that. And I love how you um, articulate that. Hmm. Yeah. I think that's really important how you guys are, you know, the whiff leads to the like uh, in a lot of ways. Like once I understand who I am in Christ, then his power is the thing that's transforming to be, me to be living more like him. Um, if, if we miss out on the, the power of grace that goes into transforming us, it's powerless. It's, it's like I, uh, uh, there's the verse, I think it's in Timothy, where it talks about they have the appearance of godliness, but they deny its power. And I just mm-hmm. go, man, I, just, I chafe against that as hard as I can. I'm, I don't want to be that kind of Christian who looks really religious but who lives a powerless life. I mean, yeah, please save me from that. Yeah. I mean, verses like that to me are sometimes horrifying, right? Because I, like I, I read stuff like that. I go, Oh man, Lord, please have mercy and don't let me be that guy. Right. And you know, I I agree with you, man. Well, we've, we've hit on what, in my opinion, you tell me, you tell me if I'm wrong here, but at least how I understand what you and Bill wrote in the discipleship gospel, um, I feel like we're hitting all around it in this conversation. And, and, and so you, you wrote this book, uh, the discipleship gospel with Bill Hull. And, and I mentioned it at the beginning, you and he helped lead the Bonhoeffer project. You're welcome if you want, it's up to you, but you're welcome to take a a few seconds to talk about what that even is. Some of our people, um, I'm sure a lot of our people read Bonhoeffer. So, uh, you're welcome to talk about that. I didn't ask you to do that in the prep questions I sent you, but if you want to share just a minute about that, you're welcome to. Yeah, the Bonhoeffer Project, um, it's only a few years old, but uh, it's really taken off. And we basically take ministry leaders through 10-month-long cohorts, and it's premium discipleship training for ministry leaders um, is what it is. So it takes 10 months. We meet, meet once a month for three hours, and then there's projects and reading in between. Uh, it really is a discipleship experience itself, but then it also teaches you to, to lead a disciple-making movement in your local context. Um, so, uh, yeah, you can just go to the thebonhofferproject.com uh, for more information on that. And then the book with Bill, was it was a gift to me. Uh, we had been battering back and forth about uh, these are the Gospels that we don't believe in, but what is the Gospel that we do affirm? And so mm-hmm. we ended up writing this book together, and it basically reconnects the gospel with discipleship, and it's built on two premises. Uh, the first is the gospel you preach determines the disciples you make. Mm. That's the first one. The second one is you can't make uh, you can't make a Christ-like disciple with a non-discipleship gospel. So there's so much emphasis on reconnecting the gospel. What is the gospel, and then how does that lead to 
making disciples because uh, in a lot of circumstances, even just in the discipleship curriculums that you look at, um, and even in, in churches, you've got the evangelism pastor and the discipleship pastor. Um, in, you've got discipleship cr- uh, curriculum that, that really doesn't even touch on the gospel. And so in all different shapes and forms, um, we separate the gospel from discipleship. It's so good. So good. Yeah, we, <laughs> you're making us chuckle a little bit when you said that because it's something we would love to see more of here in this, in this context and in the Southern context is getting away from the dichotomies that have never been made in the scriptures, but we've done it really well in the typical American church. But um, yeah, it's, it's so the gospel is so compelling. It's also in, incredibly securing, right? And I feel like that's what you're getting at. It's, so it isn't just one or the other. And it isn't just another variation of those things, right? Like any, any of the, um, you're welcome to, and I was, what, this is a question I was going to ask you. Uh, are there any of those other gospels that you want to briefly touch on just so that someone listening might say, oh, you know what? I, I have given more credence or more. I've leaned onto that one more and I need to be careful. That's not the one that really leads us down this road of disciple making with Jesus and it being a Jesus-centered thing. Any of them that you might highlight that maybe stand out as you guys, you and Bill, I know have taught on this, and maybe one or one or two of them stands out um, among the others. Yeah, of the other Gospels, I mean, I think there's a therapeutic Gospel that's being preached today, which basically just uh, the, the whole purpose of that Gospel is just to make me feel good about myself, even in my own sin. Um, then there's the consumer gospel, which just seeks to um, serve my needs in, in whatever way I can. And so it becomes all about me. Um, you know, there's, there's legalistic gospels floating around. Okay, keep all these, these rules and, and believe these certain doctrines and you, you're in. Otherwise, man, you are out. Um, there's the political gospel, which says if you vote according to my ideals, then we're going to change the country. Um, so there's all all different gospels, but I, I I find that a lot of times we give so much attention to the false gospels that we don't actually like hone in on like what is Jesus' kingdom gospel? Yeah. Uh, here you have a crucified king, and in every other setting, when a king gets crucified, it's over. He's dead. You're not the king anymore if you die, and that's why I think Peter in Mark chapter eight has his mind blown when Jesus said, "I'm going to die." And, he, and Peter gets so upset because if you die as a king, you're not the king anymore. Yeah. Um, and, and so here we have Jesus, this crucified king, which doesn't make any sense, and except for the resurrection coming right on its heels. But then he calls us into a crucified life, you know, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. So you've got a crucified king, which doesn't make sense. And then he's calling us into a cru- crucified life. Who wants to do that? Um, and that's, that's the essence of the gospel. And it's like, and I, I think the, the kingdom gospel, I, I've been doing some work on, on um, grace, and Jesus doesn't once use the word grace in any one of the four gospels, not once. Hmm. And yet he preaches this really strong kingdom gospel. But grace is woven so far into the fabric of everything that he's saying that you cannot deny yourself take up your cross and follow Jesus daily without a huge infusion of grace. Mm-hmm. And so I, th- I think the kingdom gospel starts 
pushing us into realms of grace and what is work salvation and what is it not um, that really pushes a lot of categories, which and in some ways it gets me into trouble when I start mentioning these things, but it's like, but these are the areas like, does grace convert us? Does it do anything after our conversion? And I would say, man, not only is conversion by grace alone, but discipleship is by grace alone. If it's anything, it's got to be that. Otherwise, I'm working for my salvation. Yeah. And so, so a concept of discipleship that is anything other than by grace alone is faulty from the beginning. But I think a lot of people walk around like the Galatians. Um, you know, what are you so foolish, you Galatians, that you would start with the Spirit and then try to work this out in your own strength? <laughs> That's right. That's so good. It's so good. And, I, I, you know, at the risk of sounding like I'm using the therapeutic gospel, because I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to affirm what you just said. I know for me personally, um, just different, I guess it's the context I've walked in and I do some teaching among college students and I do interaction with a lot of different folks that maybe um, don't have a church background or if they do, they've completely rebelled against it. Um, and I keep finding that that same gospel that you're talking about um, it, it's the very gospel that helps us be secure enough to take the rest to live a crucified life. It's, it's that very gospel that therapeutically hits at the very um, core of the Eden, the Eden effect, right? Like the very things that the garden of Eden has affected upon us Mm -hmm. and, and, and um, the ways that we want to rule over each other because we're, we don't know, think anyone else is looking out for our good we, we, we think we're not secure enough, so we've got to go now and take power over you. And that plays itself out in every aspect of our lives, relationships, and as well as even our own mentality about ourselves. And yet, when we begin to understand, that's why you're saying that grace is so woven into it, right? Because we begin to realize, well, there really is only one good king. There, there really is only one good king, and abundant life only works under the rule of that one good king. And if any of us try to take any element of king or queenship away from him without it being directly, graciously, undeservedly given to us by him, right, then we mess the whole thing up. And that's the brokenness that we find ourselves in. And, and, and it's interesting how that larger context, that larger gospel story, I've noticed at least, is very engaging with people who are wrestling with, I've walked away from that, that self-preservation, self-actualization, individualistic gospel that I heard, and I'm looking for the one that actually is real. And I think you're seeing um, a lot of people who've walked away from those other six that you talked about, you know, that, that are looking for this one. And I think it's why it's so important what you guys have written on it. It's, 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 it's really critical. Anything you want to add before we wrap? I've just been incredibly encouraged by you. I want to remind the uh, listeners how you started. You said, I prayed, Lord, who do you want me to spend the next uh, four to six months of my life with? That's good. And what I've heard you teach us today is you really don't need to know anything to start because the Holy Spirit is the teacher through the word, namely Mark, um, in your case. So there's just no excuses. Start with prayer, um, trust in the Spirit, and invite some people into your life. So good, man. So good. I mean, this is a podcast, so our people listening or the folks who are listening are not going to be able to 
to know um, an image that's behind you in the Zoom call that we're having here together. Love is, is this huge word behind Ben and then around it, just so I can describe it to our people, is hopes, testifies, overcomes, we receive it, we abide in it, it, it leads to fellowship, it moves us, compels us to sacrifice. We, we, because we are loved, we obey out of gratefulness, it casts out fear, that insecurity we were just talking about. That's so good, so good. So uh, we'll give you credit for it if it ends up on a wall here, so. <laughs> That's actually, it actually is a, uh, uh, a big banner that we put up on the stage when we were teaching through First John. So that, that whole banner is, comes right out of First John. And that's, John just teaches us once we receive Christ's love, that it empowers us to do all those things. It's so good. Well, I want to tell those who are listening to this podcast, you, you have a special opportunity um, as we've already mentioned, uh, Ben wrote a book called The Discipleship Gospel. There's also a, um, a coordinated or, or, a, or a workbook that goes with it, along with it, called The Discipleship Gospel Workbook. It's from um, Him Publications, right? Is that the, that's the group that put it out. A friend of ours, Chad Harrington's a part of that. And, uh, um, and so he, Chad and Ben and Bill, I'm guessing, would be okay with it too, have, have, uh, have offered for those of you who are listening to this podcast that if you want to go to himpublications.com and it's slash product slash the dash discipleship dash gospel, and we can put this in our product, in yeah, our be uh, show notes. We'll put this in our show notes for those if you want to specifically get that link again. But you can go to himpublications.com, probably even search for it there. And in, in what you want to do, the instructions we were given, if before July 31st, um, for only $20, you can get both the book and the workbook. But what you want to do is go to the website, add Discipleship Gospel Workbook to your cart, and then put in, in all caps, B-U-Y, buy, both, Dukes and they and Chad, I think just was funny to put my last name in there, but buy both Dukes is the code that you would put in, and it'll automatically add the book into the cart with the workbook, and then you can check out there. And uh, as us as we as we said, as Paul said, it'll be in our show notes as well that relate to the podcast if you want to get that there. And we say it at the end of every podcast, you may have a question or comments or, and Ben, if you don't mind, if we get comments or questions, if you don't mind, I'll, I may forward you some if we get any. Um, we, you know, we don't often, and a lot of times the responses I get are verbal. Someone will run into me and grab me here around here and, or I'll get a message through Facebook or something from somebody. But, um, but if we get one, I may forward it on to you if you don't mind, but if you're listening, you can, you can uh, email in jdukes at brentwoodbaptist.com or pwilkinson at brentwoodbaptist.com. And, and if you don't find the information on those two books in the show notes for whatever reason, maybe you got technical difficulty or you just can't find it, you're welcome to email us and I'll send that out to you as well if you would like it. So any closing thoughts, Ben, anything you want to leave us with? Or? I'll say I just had a group. I just had a guy in a group ask me what to do next uh, this morning after they finish what they're currently on. So it's about to be this book right here. That's good. And I want to, want them to know these gospels. I love it. I love it. I love it. And I'm going to, um, Ben, if you're okay with it, I'm going to make sure um, that a number of our staff across our campuses 
um, specifically, and they all, they all get access to this, obviously, but I want to make sure they, to encourage them specifically to listen to this, because I so appreciate the way you're doing it there, and, and um, just how God's using that, because I, again, and I think it's the kindred, it's a way, I'm sure there are other ways we're not, but but it's a way that you and I are kindred is we just want to see people be redundant about what Jesus taught and did. And, and, and I think the simplicity of that and the access, the accessibility of that and the reproducibility of that, I'm hoping we'll really see and hear and catch that. So anything you want to leave us with before we go? I uh, just thank you very much for having me. This has been a whole lot of fun. I do feel like I've got two kindred brothers here. And um, just to clarify one thing, the workbook, is actually the disciple making curriculum that we use here at Cyprus. So the, the mass awesome. curriculum that we've been using, that is okay. the discipleship gospel workbook. Um, so that kind of complements what the, the discipleship gospel book is teaching. It's actually putting that into practice on ground level. You can do this in your discipleship group. So I'm not sure if I made that clear before, but that's, that's what it is. But you guys are awesome. I'm, I'm really thankful to have a chance to speak with you guys for an hour. And, and uh, I look forward to seeing our, paths crossed, Lord willing, in the future. Thanks so much for joining us today, Ben. You got it. Thank you, guys. Yes, sir. And we appreciate all you guys listening and, and uh, share this with someone. You may, you may be walking uh, in a group of folks, some friends that you're walking with who are all saying, man, I want abundant life. I want this life-giving life that a disciple-making life with Jesus is. And 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 Jesus said that's what he came to bring is abundant life. And it's not abundant just for me right? It's abundant when we give it and when we give and we give access to that resurrection life to someone else. And so you may have somebody you want to share this podcast with. We encourage that and, and look forward to joining up with you uh, next episode. We'll talk to you soon.